Hi, I'm Andy Morgan, and you're listening to the RipBody.com podcast. The thing that ties all lifters together, uh, regardless of the level, is that we're all interested in getting to the next PR. What's it like to squat a thousand pounds? It's like squatting 500 pounds. It, for you to hit a PR is the same for, as it is for me to hit a PR. And it, I don't know, that's exciting for anybody. That was my to share. I'm actually sitting with him here for this interview in uh, Colorado Springs in his house. Uh, Mike uh, runs reactivetrainingsystems.com. He's known for kind of being the father of RPE when it comes to reps in reserve. He has coached 12 world record holders. Um, Mike is one of five people to have ever totaled over 2,000 100 pounds um, in the 260 weight class. That's raw. That's tested. Um, Mike is a bit of a legend. Uh, we talk about, well, mainly, I guess, using the RPE in your training and the importance of it to help manage fatigue and uh, help you progress better. Um, clearly, uh, it works well. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this one with Mike Touchere. Yeah, man, Mike, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me in your home the last couple of days. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, it's been great to spend some time with you and hang out. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. Um, yeah. it's, it's funny we didn't know each other uh, until... <laughs> like, uh, last week, we bonded over indoor skydiving. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely a new experience for me. Um, I don't get to do anything like that very often, so... Um, it was cool. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I'm going to yeah. have to check if uh, they have any in uh, Tokyo. Yeah. So um, we're in uh, Colorado Springs. We went for a hike up uh, Eagle um, Peak. Yeah, Eagle's it? Peak. Yeah. Uh -huh. Went for a hike up Eagle's Peak yesterday. And uh, today we're going to go to Pike's Peak. We're going to go drive that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm in a company of something of a legend, eh? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. That, that makes me a bit uncomfortable to phrase it that way. But yeah, I guess uh, I've done some cool things and uh, hopefully helped some people along the way. Where did it all start for you? Uh, you mean like lifting in general? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I started lifting when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I was interested in things physical before then even. Um, I, they, they had a weightlifting club uh, at my school, uh, and it only met like once a month or something like that, but there was a teacher who was willing to teach us about lifting weights. And so I was interested in that. So I got involved in that and it, uh, uh, became a thing that I was good at. And I think that helped me a lot, you know, uh, like we were, uh, chatting a bit about earlier, um, uh, kind of in grade school when I was uh, a bit younger, say, you know, 10 or younger even. Um, uh, I wasn't really fat, but I was, uh, I was always a big kid and kind of a chunkier kid, yeah. you know, then. Um, and, you know, lots of kids go through like this socially awkward phase, you know, and, and growing up's not an easy thing to do. Uh, so one thing that I think, uh, lifting weights helped me do is to get over that in a lot of ways, you know, and I'm not sure if it's anything 
special about lifting weights or just the process of focusing on a thing and getting better at it. And I think that helps to build confidence, you know, that it, like, Hey, I'm, here's a thing that I enjoy and I'm getting better at it. I, I think that's important for people. You know, it's definitely important for me. Did that help you slim down as well? Yeah, I think it did. And, uh, you know, starting, it, it, it's hard to tell, uh, starting lifting weights at, you know, 12 and getting more serious into it as I went, I'm not sure what I would have been like as an adult had that none of that ever happened. Mm. Um, but I mean, it just thinking it through, it seems like it would have helped, you know, I don't see why it wouldn't have helped. You mm. know, it certainly helped me add more muscle. Uh, I was a football player in, in high school as well. So, uh, that was lifting weights was more or less required for that. Uh, which was never any problem for me. <laughs> uh, they actually, uh, so for the football team, uh, the weight room was open three days a week in the off season. And I didn't want to lift three days a week. I wanted to lift five days a week. Uh, so I kept an, uh, like a little Allen wrench in my wallet. And on the days where the gym was closed, I would pick the lock and basically I would break into the gym and <laughs> go in there and lift weights. Uh, I got caught more than, more than a couple times as well. But, uh, teachers were, um, sympathetic, I guess, you know, that, uh, like, otherwise I was a good kid. I didn't get into a lot of troubles. And they're like, he's breaking into the gym to lift weights. Like this is <laughs> certainly not causing trouble. So, mm. um, yeah, that was kind of a glimpse into me in, in high school, I suppose. You're uh, 270 now. Um, yeah. you don't have a gut. Uh, <laughs> so, and you're six, one, six feet, even six feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so you're huge. Uh, uh, at, when you were, um, in high school, what, what did you weigh then? Say start of high school at the start of high school, say around 190 pounds. Okay. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how tall I was. Uh, I remember the only reason I remember that is that sometime in that time frame, I remember benching my body weight for the first time. And I remember that being a really big deal for me. Mm. Um, and then, you know, moving past that as, as high school progressed. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, you 190 and you benched 190. Okay. So it wasn't like you started, it wasn't like when you started lifting weights, you were just, a complete natural. No, no. Even before that, I, I remember, uh, benching 135 pounds the first time, uh, 60 kilos. And I remember the distinctly remember the guy who was uh, a year older than me, who was spotting me. Uh, and when I went to attempt it, he's like, well, you've got the big boy plates on there now. And I remember that being a big deal to me as well. Like mm. the first time you benched with the big boy plates, you know? <laughs> so this yeah. was in high school as well, the first year? That was before, before high school. I'm a bit fuzzy on exactly when, but right. yeah, a year or two prior. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, and by what point were you, uh, 260, 270, you're competing right now? Um, probably not until college. I graduated high school around 250 pounds. Uh, and then slowly got up to 260, 270. I've been there for kind of a long time since. So you're getting 60 pounds in three. 
<laughs> My goodness. Wow. So nutritionally, what did you, what were you doing at that point? Or was it just eating everything in sight? <laughs> eating everything in sight. So, and think back to, so this was, uh, between 1999 and 2003. Uh, so the kind of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. The, at least the, powerlifting side of the world in terms of fitness advice was more along the lines of, um, it's more what we're familiar now with like multiply powerlifting and like how to smash a box of Oreos in one sitting and like powerlifters, uh, eat three Big Macs in one sitting, you know, and like that, that was like, that's what powerlifters were supposed to do, you know? And I remember reading some articles, uh, about like, if you're having trouble gaining weight, then you're just simply not eating enough. You set, uh, set a, a alarm on your watch for every three hours and you eat and you won't be hungry and you'll feel miserable, but you eat anyway. And so that's basically what I did. Um, just lots and lots of food and, and it worked in terms of gaining weight. Uh, and I was fortunate. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the age I was in, you know, cause you're looking at, you know, what, 14 to 18 years old. Yeah. Um, so I think I can get away with a bit more, uh, sloppiness in terms of diet than, mm. than I could have, uh, later on in life. I don't think I would have approached it the same way if I could do it again. Uh, but it certainly worked, you know, and I can't, it can't be too unhappy with it that, you know, based on how it turned out. But, yeah eating every three hours. That's, that's how I made that happen. That's the key. Yeah. You're known for, um, using RPE rate mm-hmm. of perceived exertion in training, mm-hmm. um, using, uh, reps in reserve as a guide. Yeah. How did you come, come about, uh, finding that? Well, sure, you, yeah. you told me that there was something that happened that made you think, ah, yeah. So, uh, when I got into college, um, there was a powerlifting club. And so I thought, wow, this is cool. Like I knew I wanted to do something like that. So I joined the powerlifting club. It was me and two other people. <laughs> and then after that first season, both of them quit. Did you just train them into the ground? <laughs> what is this? Like, holy hell, Mike is, uh, what's the point? We can't compete with this fella. I think they just, uh, kind of lost interest and wanted to do some other things. Uh, one went on to become a fighter pilot and, you know, so I'm sure that there were other shiny objects to attract attention, you know, but uh, at that point I was in a club of one, which is no fun. So I went out and recruited a bunch of people. And, uh, so now we had, you know, a dozen people or so. And how did you recruit? Um, I, I was at the, uh, Air Force Academy and I, we, uh, had an email list for all the other cadets. And so I sent out an email that was like, Hey, I'm, this is, I had been to the junior world championship, I think at that point. And I want, I didn't do so well. And I knew I wanted to go back and, and win. And I knew I was capable of that. So I sent out this email that was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. If you want, if you want in on this, be, this is when practices be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there was a bit more to it than that, but we did manage to recruit about a half a dozen people or, or even a dozen people. Um, so now we have all these people that are newer than me. Uh, they had some lifting experience, but you know, I'm the, the man as far as telling them what to do. So I was kind of thrust into a coaching role. Uh, so 
that was no problem. I wanted to do that. And, uh, um, so I was learning a lot from coaching these guys and, um, also managing my own training. And at the time, uh, this would have been 2005 plus or minus a little, um, everyone always talked about, uh, super training the book, you know, if you're, uh, you know, what book should I read about training? Well, super training is the text, right? Right. It doesn't, didn't matter that it was impenetrable for anyone. Um, but I had it and, and I remember studying it, like read a line and think, okay, what the heck did that mean? You know, read another line. (laughs) What does that mean? You know, and there's a section in there about RPE and, um, it's more focused, uh, on endurance training. Um, that's where it came from. But people were also talking at the time about, you know, you should, when you train, you should leave a rep in the tank. And I kind of blended those two ideas together. And I thought, well, you know, how would you apply RPE to lifting? Well, what if you took this reps in the tank idea and kind of put them together, you know, so 10 RPE is maximum effort nine RPE is like, okay, that's one rep in the tank. Eight RPE is like two reps in the tank. Well, once you get past that, it gets kind of weird. So, um, you know, how would you scale this? So it went from a maximum effort at a 10 to, you know, lifting a pencil at a one, you know? So, uh, that's kind of like working through that problem is kind of where the original RPE chart originated. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And when there was something that happened to you that made you uh, consider or reconsider the value of rest? So this would have been 2013 or so. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mike Sordos, uh, he teaches exercise science. He's a professor at Florida Atlantic University. That's also for the... Um for those that know Eric Helms, um, mm-hmm. Dr. Mike Zordos was uh, Eric's PhD supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think they collaborate on some projects now, which are really top notch. Um, I've known Mike for quite a few years now and, uh, he was putting on a competition at that time frame. you know, just a small local competition. And I had plans to be in that area just to visit and it's like, well, the timing matches up. Would you like to do this, this meet? Yeah, sure. I'll do it. So it wasn't like a major competition. It wasn't like the major peak of the year. You know, when I'm designing my annual plan, it doesn't point to this competition. Uh, this was just kind of something to do on the way. About two weeks before the competition, I was visiting my parents. I uh, went to the gym to train. I was warming up for my deadlift maybe about my third warm-up set. Um, so a weight that I handle every time I deadlift, no matter what. I'm setting up, and when I drop my hips down to start the pull, uh, I feel a pop in my back. Hmm. And immediately I knew that I'd hurt something. I had no idea how bad yet, but you know it, it happens sometimes. Uh, but I knew I was done training for the day, so I put my things away, and uh, I got fairly stiff and... and um, it was one of those things where it's not so severe that like, Oh, I need to go to the hospital or anything, but it's like, this is going to be quite uncomfortable for a few days at least, you know, uh, maybe even a, a few weeks. So talking to, um, Mike Zordos again, uh, I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to compete. You know, I'm still coming, but we'll see if I'm, if I'm able to compete at all. Uh, 
The next stop on my trip was to California to do a seminar uh, with the Juggernaut crew. And that was the first time I met uh, Dr. Quinn Hinnock, who's a, a physical therapist and a lifter. And, you know, was like, uh, hi, how are you doing? I'm Mike. Uh, I hurt my back. Can you please help me? You know, and uh, he was very kind and took a look and like, yeah, you hurt your back and it'll it'll be fine, but you know, don't do anything that hurts for, you know, the next couple of weeks. And so I did, you know, I started to do some movement, but nothing that was too painful. Uh, anyway, you go forward a bit more in time. I'm running out of time in terms of this competition and, and really not training much at all. I do think I got in maybe two training sessions, uh, before the competition. And I could feel like, okay, yeah, I think I'll be able to compete, but who knows how well this is going to go. So I show up at the competition, not really knowing what to expect. And we thought, well, let's just play it by ear. Uh, The squat went fine. The bench went normally. Uh, The deadlift, I took my opening deadlift and it went how an opener ought to go. And I thought, okay, that's good. What was your opening deadlift? Uh, I want to say it was around 777. Um, that I think that was fairly typical for me at the time. And, and based on how that moved, we thought, well, let's stick to the planned second attempt deadlift, which would have been around 804. So we took that one and and thought, uh, okay, that moved about how we expect it to. So, uh, based on that, we, um, planned a, called for a third deadlift of 826 or something in that neighborhood. Um, maybe eight thirty, And, uh, that was about two and a half kilos below my PR. And I remember talking to my handler at the time. I was like, is this, is this a bad idea? Like, would you, would you go for something that's two and a half kilos under a PR or, or should we put another two and a half kilos on there? You know, like, well, I don't know. If you put another two and a, if you put two and a half kilos on the bar, now you're just tying the PR. Maybe you should put five on there and that way you could, attempt to break a PR, you know, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that's also a full five kilos over what I expected to do. I'm two weeks post back injury. I've trained maybe twice, you know, um, but my handler said, well, you know, you don't really have much to lose. It's a local competition. It's not like there's a title on the line or anything. So let's go for it. And so we did, he called for it and, and I pulled it. It was a limit lift, but I made the attempt and, uh, that's my best deadlifting competition is, uh, 843. And so I, when I think back on that story, I think of it like, uh, that might be the most weight I ever pull in competition, you know? And it was not a thing that I expected. It wasn't planned. It wasn't, um, by design. It was just there and we did it. And, if we had stuck rigidly to a plan or a preconceived idea, maybe I never would have done that, you know? So, uh, to me, it's, it's, uh, an indication of, uh, you have to seize an opportunity when it's there. And if you don't, then you may never get another one. Uh, now hopefully I can come back to that and and do more than that in the future, but that's not, that's not a promise. So uh, I, like to think of that as, as a reason to seize those opportunities. So at the time that was a world record. Technically it was an American record. Okay. Because at a small competition, um, 
they don't count as world records. You can only set world records at certain levels of competition. Okay. Um, but that was definitely the most weight that I've pulled. And, uh, so the, the most weight that's been pulled in America since then is 826, I believe. Uh, I hope I'm not getting that too wrong. Even now. And that's 260 weight class Mm -hmm. raw, um, tested. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And tested, um, just for those listening that don't understand the term, it means uh, drug tested. Yeah. 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 Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And since then you've, um, is it since then you've taken two silver medals at Worlds, uh, the IPF Worlds? Uh, Let's see, so that would have been 2013. Yeah, yeah, it would have been since then. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was 2014-2015. Oh, it would have been later 2013 and 2014. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, both of those. Mm. Uh, the 2013 championship was in Russia, and the 2014 championship was in South Africa. Mm. It was a really interesting trips. I had a really good time for those. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that springs out at you from those trips? Um. Yeah, lots of, lots of things, but uh, um, gosh, I'm uh, yeah, lots of things. I got to go see go see lions in South Africa, which uh, I'd never seen quite that up close. I got to hold a lion cub, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, then we had our lifters at the competitions. Um, we've done really well from a coaching standpoint. I think at this point we've coached. I want to say. 12, um, IPF world record holders. Um, so that's always, it's fun to go to those meets for me, you know, get to see all the people that, um, that we coach remotely from around the world, you know, and this is like the one time per year we get to, to really get together. So that's always fun. So you, you and your team, you've coached 12 IPF world record holders. How many of those? All right. I already know what you're going to say. You can say they were brilliant already, but how many of those <laughs> didn't have um, world records? How many of those world records are, are under your tutelage? Good, good question. Um, I won't count a world record as like in that number hmm. unless it was set after we started working with that person. Okay. So of course they were already. You're right. They were already high level people. Uh, in most cases, now some cases I've worked with some people for years and they f- eventually get to that level. Other people are already at that level. And, you know, if you're, you know, third, fourth, fifth at the world championship and want to get the next step up, you know, uh, we seem to, uh, do well with people in those situations. So, uh, I enjoy working with, with people in those situations as well. But the thing, the thing that, I always think about, uh, is that, uh, the thing that ties all lifters together, uh, regardless of the level is that we're all interested in getting to the next PR. And that's the thing that kind of unites everybody of all different levels. I did a seminar, um, many years ago with, uh, with Ed Cohn and, uh, he's squatted a thousand pounds in competition. And during one of the Q and A's, uh, someone asked him, what's it like to squat a thousand pounds? And he said, well, how much can you squat? And the guy said, 500 pounds. You know, he said, it's like squatting 500 pounds. You know, and 
what he's trying to convey in that is just that it's the same, you know, like if for you to hit a PR, it's the same for as it is for me to hit a PR. And it, I don't know, that's exciting for anybody, you know? Hmm. So the lifters come to Mike to share and reactive training systems for the secret sauce. <laughs> um, and what is that secret sauce? I guess this ties back into taking opportunities mm-hmm. and using RPE. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing is to pay attention. Uh, the biggest thing for any, any coach is to pay attention because we can talk about techniques, you know, whether that's RPE, uh, obviously we're, uh, pretty vocal proponents of RPE, but that doesn't mean that we don't use other tools. Uh, we see all of these things as tools in the, in the toolbox and there are appropriate uses and inappropriate uses and to know which is which you have to pay attention. And I think that's the biggest thing that we bring to bear is the, the willingness to do that. Um, even designing systems that help us do it better, uh, to learn, uh, what does a particular person respond best to? Um, we get things that get, uh, uh, imitated and, I think lots of times those things can be useful, uh, RPE or, um, doing a, a single at a eight RPE, uh, followed by back off work is another thing that's kind of caught on in the powerlifting world. Mm. Um, those things can be useful, but the appropriate use, you can only figure that out if you're paying attention to what's going on, uh, monitoring athlete response. Are they getting stronger or not? Are they getting beat up or not? Um, those things are vitally important and yeah, there's no great success without that. How can people gauge for themselves, um, whether they're getting beat up or not objectively and how do you do that online? Sure. Uh, we have developed, a, a few systems for monitoring training or monitoring, um, just athlete recovery. And those are available. We have them available on our website for free for anybody to use. Um, if you just go to reactive training systems.com, log on and click on apps, you're there. Uh, they're web-based applications. So, uh, they work in any browser. Um, as far as monitoring how beat up you are, there's a component of this, uh, web system we call track and basically it's a, it's a way to assess and monitor your recovery. Um, the things that we focus on, there are six subjective questions that ask you things like how sore do you feel in various body parts? How tired do you feel? Uh, how recovered do you feel? Just the subjective feeling of recovery and then, uh, motivation to train. Mm. Um, and by monitoring how you answer those questions and how they fluctuate over time, uh, and especially being able to, uh, combine that with knowing how your training is going, we can see how are you recovering? So if you think of recovery, um, uh, maybe you're familiar with the kitchen sink analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Greg introduced me to that. Greg yeah. knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that analogy. Uh, so if you think of, um, your recovery as a kitchen sink, stress is the water that flows into the sink 
And recovery is the drain at the bottom that water flows out of the sink. And if uh, stress is more than recovery, then fatigue, the water level in the sink rises. And if stress is less than recovery, then the water level of the sink falls, it decreases. The only thing I would add to that is that humans are variable by nature. If you sleep poorly or have poor nutrition or various other things, it's almost as if the size of the drain changes. Uh, If you're maximizing your recovery, then the drain gets bigger. If you're doing things that hamper recovery, the drain gets smaller. So by monitoring the level of water in the sink, uh, we know how fatigued you are. And since there's a training log component to this as well, we know at least how much training stress is flowing in. And based on the change in fatigue level, we know that, hey, either fatigue is being hampered or there are outside stresses that are coming in. And we can make uh, changes to the training program based on based on how the athlete's feeling, really. Mm. For people that um, struggle with the idea of going to the gym and not doing maximum effort for every set the entire time and leaving shattered. Um, what would you say to those people? What's your advice to those people? I used to feel that way uh, a lot as well. Like if I completed all my reps and let's add some more weight, you know, I was definitely a power lifter through and through in my head, you know. Um, the notion of RPE really helped me with that. Um, one thing that I really get a lot of value from in my own training is seeing progress. And for me, at least that's where, that's where it stemmed from at the, at the bottom of it. I wanted to know every session that I was progressing. Now, later on, I find out like, well, that's maybe not the best way to go about it. So RPE was really a way for me to see that progress without pushing to the limit every time, because now I can, uh, you know, to do it simply, I can say this week I lifted the same weight for the same reps, but the RPE was less, Hmm. uh, to go a step further. You can, if you know the weight on the bar and how many reps you did and the RPE, you can get a pretty accurate estimated one rep max for, for any given set. So, uh, we monitor that, uh, of course, for the competition lifts, that's very important, but I monitor it even for assistance lifts, uh, because it helps me to see that those lifts are progressing as well. Um, it gives me a target to aim at. Uh, so I can say, you know, last week I did 200 pounds for five reps, uh, you know, a nine RPE this week. Let's see if I can do 205 pounds for five reps at a nine RPE. So a bit more weight, but keep the reps and the RPE the same, or maybe it's the same weight and the same reps. And hopefully the RPE is a bit less or, uh, any other combination, but having that additional variable of RPE really seemed to, to help me not push it too hard. You know, it's a fine line to walk sometimes, but that helps. I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, for yourself especially, yeah. Um, for those that are listening that are interested in learning more about IP, there are um, there are three resources on ripbody.com. 
Um, so you're going to see that in action in a couple of the training um, programs that we have there. Um, they're up on the, the front page at the moment. Just scroll down to the training section. We've got the intermediate bodybuilding program and the intermediate um, powerlifting program from the Muscle and Strength Training Pyramid book. Um, and also you'll see at the bottom of those two articles, you'll see, um, you'll see my, my, our pitch to try and get your email address there. Um, that's, uh, Eric Helms and I taking you through, um, RPE, what it is and how you can implement it in your training. Uh, now saying that Mike, I'm sure, um, you've got plenty sure. of stuff on your own. So when people go to reactive training systems.com, um, where do they go to learn more about this? If these are novel concepts, mm. uh, then you can click on articles and then there's a, a section in articles called Beginning RTS. And a lot of uh, those articles address uh, some of the more fundamental issues as far as getting started. Um, how do you put this into a program? There are also some program articles there as well that um, will give you a, a more spelled out, like, hey, here is a program that you can take to the gym and use. Yeah. So RPE is something that you're going to get better at over time and better at implementing over time. So please think of this as, don't think of it as you read an article and you're done. Um, definitely, um, if you've already read those articles on um, my site, um, don't think that that's it. There is definitely going to be value from going over to Mike's and, and reading the articles that he's put out. And, and practice, really. You know, I think that's uh, there's a, a skill component to it. And I'll have lifters occasionally, I ask them to do maybe five reps at a nine RPE. And they will tell me, you know, well, I did five reps, uh, or I did four reps, and then I missed the fifth one. Now, technically, that shouldn't happen. You know, even if you're a bit wrong on your guess, you know, maybe it's five reps at a 10 RPE. You know, missing a rep on, on a set like that is really far off, you know, but it does happen occasionally. I don't get upset about that when it happens, because if you've learned something from it, then you'll be able to apply RPE better in all the workouts from this point forward. And that's not a bad trade, you know, so you have one set that didn't, it wasn't what we hoped it would be. But if that means that you're better at it from here going forward, then that's a win. Uh, so just continue to pay attention to it and uh, continue to get better at it with time. So let's say um, someone's shooting for 300 pounds, um, three sets and eight reps at an eight RP. Mm -hmm. And they, um, in their second set, they only get seven reps and that's a 10. Mm -hmm. Um, what would they do in that third set? Drop the load? I suppose it would depend on the specific instructions, but in the scenario that you outlined, it sounds like reducing the weight on the bar would be the way to go. Mm. Um, occasionally, I would say most often that's how I would handle a situation like that, but I think occasionally uh, you can run into scenarios where um, you use a benchmarking set to set the load in the beginning and then uh, the desire would be to keep that load constant mm. afterwards. But if that was the point, then you'd need different instructions probably. Right. So mm. 
here I am overthinking it. <laughs> well, let's say that the idea is to keep the load the same. Mm-hmm. What would the instructions be? Have an RPE range? Um, the way I would instruct an athlete in that scenario would be to work up to, uh, what do we say? Eight reps at a, at a eight RPE mm. and whatever that load was, let's say it's 300 pounds. Keep that load the same for, um, three additional sets, let's say. And if they continue to get eight reps on all those additional sets, then that's great. If the reps start to drop off, the idea is that they keep the, the load the same. We understand that they're going to fatigue. Uh, in, in many ways, that's the point. Uh, and people will fatigue at different rates and uh, even at different rates with different exercises. Squats and deadlifts tend to fatigue faster than bench press, for example. Um, so those things will happen, mm. but um, it just depends on the objective. Like, what is the coach trying to accomplish, I think? You know, is it, is it exposure to a, a particular weight or is it uh, more of a particular volume? Um, so how are we prioritizing those different metrics? Cool. Um, yeah. We've got some questions from um, some people on. Oh, wow. <laughs> you open up Facebook and pow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I put out on in our Facebook group, uh, the ripbody.com family. Um, that we're doing this interview and some people have kindly asked some questions. Um, yeah. Are there any here that um, you'd like to um, go through or should we just try and go through them as quickly as possible? Yeah, we can get through as many as we can. That would okay. be fine. So Kenneth um, asks, uh, if we're separating both the main lifts, for example, the squat and the secondary lifts, i.e. a pin squat on two different days, how should we warm up prior to the secondary lifts working sets? meaning warm up directly with the pin squat from the empty bar and work the weight up every set or just warm up with the usual main squat and then only start doing the pin squat on the required working sets. I would personally, I would be somewhere between those two options. I will typically start my first couple of warm up sets with the basic movement, say squatting in this case. And then on my second or third warm-up set, I'll transfer over to pin squats. So I'll get a couple warm-up sets of pin squats before the weight gets very heavy. But I don't think you would be wrong to start out just doing pin squats. I think that would be fine if that was your preference. Mm, okay. Yeah. So if in a situation where you've already done, um, let's say you're doing pin squats and squats on the same day, mm-hmm. um, you've done your squats, now you're moving on to pin squats, would you just bang, go straight into pin squats or would you um, have a, a warm up to get the feel before or a couple? I would probably do one warm up set beforehand. You probably don't need more than that because pin squats are typically going to be lighter in load. So you're, you're already acclimated to the load. You're already warm. But doing one warm up set will let you uh, feel the differences in the movement um, and get, kind of get used to it. Um, so that when you get to the working sets, you're, you're not acclimating to, you know, stopping on pins, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Kenneth. Okay. Socrates asks, uh, Hey Andy, I would like to ask Mike T to clarify in which of the following examples is the intensity low, um, two reps at 85%, one rep max, which is an RPE of six or seven or 12 reps at 70% of one rep max, 
which is an RP of 9.5 to 10. Intensity uh, always is a reference to the load. So in this case, uh, we have 85% in one scenario, 70% in the other scenario. So 70% is low intensity. Uh, I know that some people used to say intensiveness when they meant how hard, uh, how hard were you working? But I think that leads to some confusion. So if I'm talking about RPE in a very generalized sense, I'll, I'll say effort. Um, so effort, if effort is low, then RPE is low. If intensity is low, then the weight on the bar is low, either in percentage or uh, in absolute terms. Yeah, I'm partially to blame for that, Mike. I apologize. Uh, I'm going to use uh, my wingman, Eric, as cover here. Uh, so what we decided to do in the Muscle and Strength uh, Training Pyramid book was we, we took intensity as um, intensity of load mm-hmm. and intensity of effort. And uh, we would yeah. always call them those two things. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so. Well, uh, I mean. If, if we've uh, confused the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I, I can see where some people might get confused by that. But really what you're saying in, is load in one scenario and effort in another scenario. Yeah. So I think if you think about it in those terms, then you'll be okay. I mean, intensity uh, has a specific definition in, uh, in the dictionary and we've kind of co-opted that in, uh, you know, exercise science, so to speak. And, um, yeah. So I, I think we're more on the same page than not. Thank you, Socrates. Okay. Uh, Karen asks, uh, what's your opinion on Astagrass versus only squatting to parallel? Squat depth is a thing that is determined by your goals. Um, since I tend to work mostly with powerlifters, you know, squatting to legal powerlifting depth is, is our requirement. If I was focused on say sprinters, then, um, maybe doing half squats or quarter squats would be a a viable option. Um, weightlifters, uh, or physique athletes, uh, going through a full range of motion, uh, seems like that would confer some benefit. So to me, it would really depend on what your goals are. And if you're running to some limitation, like maybe you're a physique athlete. Uh, so by default, squatting through a full range of motion would be better. But let's say that that hurts your knee. Then don't do it. You know, uh, squat only to parallel uh, if that is better for your knee. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, I don't uh, get too much... Uh, um, like emotional attachment to any particular technique, you know, as long as it's, it's safe, uh, then it's, it's just about objectives at that point. It's a tool to be used. One thing I'd add there, um, try, uh, if you're squatting and you're not sure how deep you can go, uh, film yourself from the side, have a look, um, especially to see if your lower back is staying flat or whether your, your ass is tucking under, um, and if it is to, if it is to a fairly noticeable degree, then you probably don't want to go that deep. Yeah. Um, and if you want to have a look for some fixes on that, I know Tony gentle core has got some stuff. I think he calls it the tuck under. Do you have anything written on that? Or? I don't, uh, I've heard people call it 
Buttwink. Buttwink as well. Yeah. Uh, and I've come across a couple articles uh, that address that. Mm. I think a lot of times it's it's more due to starting position uh, being hyperextended in the start position. But occasionally you do see people, uh, especially larger people uh, or people with mobility problems uh, that you know will have some lower back flexion go into those extreme ranges of motion. And yeah, that would definitely fall into what I would, what I would call a safety concern. Okay. Ibrahim asks, uh, will Mike hire me as an intern to make the mobile version of his RTS workout tracker? <laughs> that's, that's a good question, actually. Um, maybe. <laughs> so we definitely do want to go in a mobile direction. I mean, that's not exactly a state secret. It's pretty obvious to anybody that looks at it, that this will be good on a mobile platform. Um, we do want to bring someone in to do that. Uh, the issue right now is that I want to grow to the point where we can pay them, uh, an appropriate amount. Uh, I don't want, you know, to have anybody, uh, working for, less than they deserve. Um, but when we get to that point, you know, I, I would be willing to look at an application. Okay. So yeah. when you get to that point, are you going to be emailing out, uh, to your, um, readers? Um, how, how would you get to find out about that opportunity? I can do that. Yeah. I honestly hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. So how about when you, but, when you're at that point, maybe email out yeah. Um, that like sounds like a good plan. When I was looking for some help with the podcast mm -hmm. and some help with the website, mm -hmm. um, I emailed out yeah. to, to the people that have kindly put their email addresses in the boxes on the site yeah. and to get my get my emails and get my uh, books. And uh, the quality of applicants that came through it was it was incredible. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I found, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, if you haven't done that before, I'd highly... I have done that, it. so I'll definitely consider that right. for sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, Ben asks, I, I don't quite understand this, um, maybe you do. Ben asks, will I kill myself if I attempt project momentum as a non-competing lifter? As in, just to work up to the mock meet part, but then deload rest as needed and have, it, have at it again? as a sort of power strength meter cycle compared to all the vein hypertrophy work <laughs> that I do. Thank you. Um, so maybe a bit of background. Uh, we occasionally will run something that we call project momentum. Okay. Uh, it's when we have some sort of a training question uh, that isn't, we don't currently have a good answer for. So uh, for example, this past year, the question was, um, does uh, the lifters max reps at 80% tell us anything about what type of program they would respond better to? So we had uh, two groups of lifters. Um, we had everyone test max reps at 80%. Uh, actually, we had four groups of lifters. So we, we had some that scored low reps at 80%, meaning lower than average, and we trained them with low reps. Others scored low reps at 80%. We trained them with high reps. Others scored high reps with 80%, trained them with low reps, or high reps with 80%, trained with high reps. Interesting. Yeah. And we wanted to see if there was any sort of difference in response. And what we found was that there was a little difference in response. Uh, and in fact, doing the thing that you're bad at seemed to be a little bit better for most people. Uh, so it wasn't, 
you know, a, a huge discovery or anything, I would say. Uh, what it's done for us is it's given us a direction to take experimentation. So if we have a lifter and we don't know yet what they respond best to, uh, we can have them do an 80% rep test and that'll give us an idea of where to go. So typically if, if you score lower than average, uh, so average is between seven and eight. So let's say you score five reps with 80%, then that means you should probably do what you're bad at and train with more reps. Um, if you're uh, high reps, 80%, more than eight, then you should train with heavier weights and, and lower reps. Uh, and the end goal was uh, strength in this case. So we were uh, testing and measuring uh, 1RMs in the power lifts. So that was our most recent project momentum. We've done a couple at this point. We definitely plan to do more. So this question is uh, about doing the project momentum programs. Um, depending, it depends on which one. Uh, some are more aggressive in effort and volume than, than others. Um, if you're talking about the one from this most recent time, then sure, give it a whirl. Uh, keep an eye on how you're feeling. And if you're really going off track, uh, if you're accumulating too much fatigue, then stop uh, or make some adjustments to the training. Uh, I would definitely recommend making adjustments to the training anyway, uh, customizing your exercises, volumes, uh, intensities, and things like that. Um, but in general, we've had people get really good results from these. Uh, the average gain in about an eight week program is something like 20 kilos on the total. So, uh, they've done well for the people who've done them. Now that's an average. Some have done extremely well. We've also had, unfortunately, some who've done extremely not well. Um, you know, average has been good. Uh, but where will you fall in that distribution is yet to be seen. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Okay. Uh, Tihomir, I'm not sure if I've pronounced that right. Apologies if not. Um, if you failed attempts in the squat, the high bar squat, uh, are due to forward leaning, how would you best address this problem? And that's the last question. Good question. So I typically address exercise problems uh, from three levels. Uh, the first is with the competition exercise itself. So in this case, your high bar squat, uh, practice doing it correctly and practice it with a load and an RPE that is a challenge for you to do it correctly. Uh, so if the weights are very easy, then it's not so much of a challenge and you don't improve that particular skill. So it's got to be kind of in that range where it's difficult. Uh, the next group of exercises that we use is uh, called assistance exercises. These are related to the competition lift, but maybe have one or two small changes um, to give the exercise some emphasis. If you're missing the weight on forward lean, then some things to try might be uh, a pin squat or a safety bar squat. You're already doing high bar squats, which is uh, another uh, assistance exercise I like to use, but uh, you're already doing that. so. Uh, that'll already be there, uh, but perhaps pin squats or safety bar squats would help. And then the last thing is uh, supplemental exercises. These are exercises that are quite different. They train the same muscles. Uh, they train the relevant muscles, but they're not at all the same movement. So things like 
lunges or leg press even, or, um, you know, something that's training the muscles, but it's not really, uh, the same movement pattern. And in this case, I would say anything that's going to really, uh, train your quads is probably a safe bet. Mike, thank you very much. Um, uh, as a final thought, um, for those that are getting serious, but they're, you know, they're not at advanced or elite levels yet. Um, is there any piece of advice that you think holds true, um, that for, for these people? Continue to pay attention to your training. Um, even if you're a novice lifter, uh, practice using RPE, even if that's not the main driver of your training, because it is a skill that can, uh, accumulate so that later on, uh, when you do want to rely on RPE to dictate training loads and things like that, you've accumulated some of the skill, uh, keeping the training log and, and things like that. When you're a more novice or intermediate lifter, you can do a lot of things that work. Uh, but someday that will stop. And if you've kept a, a good training log that you can refer back to, uh, later on, then you'll know, uh, what things tend to work best for you. And it'll give you a direction for further experimentation. Uh, so hopefully you don't get stuck on plateaus for long periods of time that, uh, you know what you need to do. So continue paying attention to what you're doing is, is probably the biggest thing. Mike, thank you very much. Um, if people want to find out more about you, uh, reactive training systems.com mm-hmm. anywhere else you would send them. Um, Social media wise, um, we're also active on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, uh, reactive training systems at any of those or, uh, Mike to on Instagram or, uh, Facebook. Uh, if you are a highly advanced, uh, elite lifter looking <laughs> to compete, um, I think you can't go far wrong with uh, hiring Mike and his team. Um, Mike, you're looking to get a book out. Um, yeah. You're looking to rewrite uh, the book that you put out, what, nine, ten years ago? Yeah, 2008. Yeah. All right. So um, when when you get that out, I'll be sure to uh, email people. Oh, thank um, you. And thank you. Kind of yeah. Um, I, I look forward to reading that. I, I know you, <laughs> we were half joking yesterday as we were hiking, <laughs> hiking up, up to the peak, um, that you, in a way you don't want to give away <laughs> everything you've learned, right? Cause it's your competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time you want to give back out to the community. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I have learned everything I know from the community and, from paying attention. So if I can contribute something useful back to that, then, I mean, that's the point, right? Like that's, that's what, for me, that's what, what it's about. So, um, those moments of wanting to keep it to myself are, um, just moments. (laughs) Mike, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me the last couple of days. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. So thank you very much for listening. Um, don't forget to check out reactivetrainingsystems.com uh, where you can find out more about uh, Mike Touchet and RPE, RIR, and how to get exceptionally big and strong. Um, please do us a favor. 
Go to iTunes, leave us a review. It will really help us out, help bump us up the charts. And if you um, if you have any questions about this, you could grab us in the uh, comments in the show notes, which will be at ripbody.com forward slash podcast hyphen mic hyphen to share, which you can Google in an ill cover. <laughs> I'm not going to expect to <laughs> try and spell it here. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, have a great couple of weeks and I'll catch you then.